Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by The Message, a new podcast series from GE Podcast Theater. Hi, Nikki Tomlin here, and I'm the host of The Message. I'll be following a team of elite cryptographers as they decode a highly classified radio transmission. To sum it up, extraterrestrials. The Message on iTunes. The following podcast contains explicit language. From Washington, D.C., this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm Bob Garfield with Mike Volo, and today, episode number 70, titled Seven Centuries of Fucks, wherein we discuss a breakthrough in the linguistic field of F-wordology. Hey, Mikey. Hey, Bobby. How you doing, buddy? Splendid. Thank you. And your own self? I'm great. I'm great. Before we start, Bob, I want to emphasize the explicit language warning at the top of the show, which is read by our esteemed leader, Andy Bowers. There will be a lot of F-bombs in this episode. There have already been one, I believe, in the intro you read. There will be many more. If you do not wish to hear the F-word or other swear words, then please turn this podcast off now. Well, wait, 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 wait. Not so fast. Why don't we do it without saying any expletives? <laughs> I don't think that's possible, Bob. Mm-hmm. By the way, I just use the expression swear words. Mm-hmm. When you were growing up, Bob, did you refer to... We said curse words, but when I turned 15 or so, it started to seem oddly juvenile to me, and I started to say swear words, thinking that it was somehow more sophisticated or less... And then come to discover most of the rest of the world, the adult world, does say curse words and cursing. And that uh, surprised me. Well, I grew up saying swear words. And I thought it might be a kind of like Mason-Dixon line divide or something, like Mm -hmm. a north-south thing. I don't know. But, you know, I'm reminded as we're talking about this of a George Carlin routine. And maybe we'll even talk about George Carlin later in the episode but a routine in which he points out that there are more words in English to describe bad words, right? Swear words, curse words, filthy words, which was the name of his actual routine, many more, than there are, in fact, bad words. (laughs) That's almost certainly not true, but in any case, I take his point. We cannot forget, though, that if you're looking for a Mason-Dixon kind of divide, we probably know that in, like, the Appalachian areas— the word was curse because it mutated into cuss, right? I know my grandparents, Monpa Kettle, used to say, 
uh, talk to me about my cuss words. Mom, pa, Kettlestein? Mom, pa, <laughs> Kettle Blit. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's correct. And, uh, you know, the Kettle Blitz, you said it that way. Right. But why fuck why now? Why are we talking about this word? Well, that's, a, by the way, a great slogan for one of these presidential candidates. <laughs> <laughs> it, it turns out that there has been very recently a breakthrough of sorts in F-wordology, as we called it, in fuckology. Quite by accident, a historian came across a use of the word fuck in print that predates by more than a century, I believe, what we thought was the earliest fuck in print. Now, we're not talking about one or two years or even a decade, which is fairly common in these anti-datings. We're talking about a hundred years or more. That's a Rosetta fucking stone. Yeah. And you really can't talk about the word fuck without talking to the person who is the premier, the preeminent fuckologist in the world, really. The lexicographer Jesse Scheidlauer, who wrote the book, The F Word, and will now probably have to update the introduction thanks to this new discovery. And I believe, Bob, that you are sitting across from Jesse in our New York studio, so why don't you do the honors and introduce him into the show? Jesse is wearing a pink button-down Oxford cloth shirt, very Andover prep, and pink hair. It uh, looks like Sandy Brown with a pink hue, combed over. I don't know what this is called. I think of it as emo, but it's a very exaggerated part you know, somewhere between Hitler and Veronica Lake. And he's got the round tortoiseshell glasses and the very conservative, very English houndstooth kind of tweed jacket in all, you know, muted earth tones. He's like torn from the pages of GQ, which is entirely unexpected. I just thought he would look like some guy I just saw at Penn Station picking through the trash. But oh, no. Oh, no, he's quite well turned out. And then, you know, then there's the rest of us in this studio who really are the huddled masses. So welcome, Jesse. Well, thank you, Bob. Picking through the trash of the English language takes a slightly different uh, dress code, I think. <laughs> I think you are the most described guest we've ever had on this podcast. <laughs> Jesse is also sitting here with his volume, which has many, many little post-it notes to mark trenchant passages, which I'm dying to get into. Okay, well, great. So... Jesse, if we can, let's bury the lead for a moment and okay. first talk about the origin of the word fuck, right? Because there is this very strong, very persistent desire among many people to etymologize this word F-U-C-K as an acronym. And while that's not completely crazy, as it turns out, it's also not true. It is pretty completely crazy. In general, any time anyone says that something comes from an acronym, they're wrong. Now, there are words that come from acronyms, but no one's ever going to say, hey, do you know that laser stands for light amplification by stimulated emission of radiation? That will never happen. You know, what they will say is that fuck is from an acronym, or shit, or golf, or cop, or tip. These are all false. And the idea that fuck comes from an acronym, and there are two main ideas. One is that it stands for for unlawful carnal knowledge, and the other is that it stands for fornication under consent of the king. Both of these are very new. You don't see them before, these suggestions before the 1960s, and the word goes back at least 500 years, now maybe almost 700 years before that. And there are a group of words similar to fuck in structure, right? Starting with an F, maybe including another consonant, having a short vowel sound, and then having another group of consonants like fiddle, fidget, flit, 
Flip, Flickr, and Frig are some that you name. All of these involve movement and, more specifically, a kind of back-and-forth movement, which, of course, is true of fuck and, most commonly, how babies are made. And that actually gets at the true, the real etymology of the word fuck, right? Yes. Well, it is a Germanic word. There are cognates to fuck in all of the Germanic languages. So there are examples in, in German, Swedish, Dutch, Norwegian, and all of these words are you know, something resembling fuck and have meanings that are either sexual meanings or meanings like to thrust or to strike. And it's clear that these are a group of related words. In fact, the earliest example, even before this new discovery, the earliest example of any of these words is the English word fuck. People have tried looking further back, trying to come up with Indo-European cognates, so you know, examples in Latin, and, and still there's not much agreement about that. But there's no question that this is a word common to the Germanic languages that goes back many, many centuries. So let's talk about what was one of the earliest citations of the word fuck before this recent discovery. And this is from the late 1400s, and it existed in a poem in a kind of cryptic way, right? Yes, this is an example usually dated from the somewhere in you know, 1475 or so that is a poem satirizing the monks of this particular abbey in Cambridgeshire. The poem is written in what's called macaronic verse. It is a mixture of Latin and another language, in this case, Latin and English. And the fuck word is given a pseudo-Latin ending, so it has a fake Latin ending. And also, the passage with the word fuck is enciphered, so each letter is replaced with the following letter of the alphabet. So instead of the fuck word, it is spelled G-X-D-D-B-O-V, which translates into fuckant, which is, again, a pseudo-Latin third-person plural ending. Right, and in these macaronic verses, what they would do is they would take very common words or slang words, and then tack on a Latin ending as a kind of humorous effect. That's right. And the same poem also has the word swive in it. Swive was the usual vulgar word for sex in Middle English. And swive was also enciphered in the same way. So, you know, it suggests very clearly that, you know, these are words that are considered vulgar even at the time. And the, the entire passage reads, non sunt in Cayley quia fucant vivis of Haley, which means they, that is the monks of this monastery that are being satirized, they are not in heaven because they fuck the wives of Ely, which is the name of this town. <laughs> so they're insulting the wives of Ely. Well, they're insulting the it's monks. It's not that for, great for uh, the monks either. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So this was perhaps the earliest kind of in-context use of the word fuck. And as you suggested, clearly taboo at the time because it's enciphered. That's exactly right. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better proof that this word was considered taboo. All right. So that's uh, 1475, which scholars thought was more or less the origin, right? That it didn't date for much earlier than that. Obviously, it was in use here for this passage to have had any uh, resonance with its readers, who I guess were all other monks. But are you saying that there's now evidence that the word fuck long predated 1475? The discovery that was just made, which is from 1310, we can date it exactly, is in use in a personal name. And there are earlier examples of fuck in personal names. Some of them are unclear. Some of them are, well, they're all unclear to some extent. But there are 13th century examples of names with fuck in it. It's just that they don't have sexual meanings. So, for example, there is a surname recorded from the late 13th century, fuck beggar, 
which could mean something like strike the beggar. This is given a big boost by the fact that there's a, a French surname from the same time, also in the 12th and 13th century, Butte-Villain, which means in French the same thing, to strike the wretch, to strike the churl. So fuck beggar is probably a use of fuck in the sense to strike, and that's from the 13th century. But why would you have that as your surname? I mean, would that be foisted on you, or would you inherit that? That's not a very flattering well, surname to have. you know, Wagner, Taylor... Cooper, fuck beggar. It makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> right. I mean, it probably it probably wasn't literally an occupational name, but it's certainly, you know, it's highly descriptive, and this kind of thing wasn't unusual. But this discovery from 1310, the word fuck exists as part of a name still, but here it seems as though it's sexual, right? That's exactly right. That's what makes this so good and so interesting. So this example was found in a court case from 1310, and again, it's exactly dated, the name of the person who was accused of a crime and who was eventually banned from the city, his name was Fuck by the Naval. That was his surname, right? His first name was Roger. Yes, Roger Fuck by the Naval. And his name... I went to school with twin Teddy and Mike Fuck by the Naval. I wonder if there's any relation. I'm sure they trace their ancestry back to Roger. But Roger's name, it's actually, it's given three times with, you know, very slightly different spellings, you know, two Ks instead of one and so forth, but it's the same name. And that's also interesting because it means it wasn't just like a one-off joke from the scribe. I mean, this was actually his name. It appears three times. We know this is what he must have been called. And what does that suggest, fuck by the navel? There are several interpretations, but it's clearly a negative thing. I mean, it, presumably this is suggesting someone... Really? Uh, <laughs> really? You, know. you think it's... You think it's negative? I, I don't get that at all. <laughs> maybe, maybe certain practices were different back then, but uh, the idea that he is so stupid that he would think this is the correct way to have sex, it's unlikely this could be anything other than the sexual senses. This isn't strike someone in the midsection or anything. You know, this has to be fuck in the belly button. Right. A kind of suggestion that this person is sexually naive or dim-witted in some way. You know, I was kind of joking when I said Taylor Wagner Cooper, fuck beggar. But it is hard for me to understand how that could ever become a surname. I mean, I know this was not exactly a classless society back in the 13th century, but is it written down on your birth records in the church? Who is the first fuck by the navel? And don't they object? Can't they? Couldn't that be called Johnson? Could Does Johnson work for you? Because... Uh, fuck by the navel. Uh. It's an interesting question. There are a few possibilities. One is that these words were not as vulgar then as they are now. You know, this is the case with certain terms. I mean, for example, shit was originally an Old English term for diarrhea of cattle, and it wouldn't have been offensive then. I mean, this was a standard term for it. So, so it's not impossible in some cases that these are words that were not vulgar and only became vulgar later after French and Latin started having influence. The English words became more offensive, which does happen in quite a number of cases. But it's also possible simply that things were more often referred to in this way. For that, we do have, again, other evidence from the 13th century in various names. So there are quite a number of examples of the place name Gropecunt Lane in Middle English. And these were places of prostitution, right? Yes, these were red light districts. And again, this isn't just one example that, oh, maybe we're misreading it. You know, there's something like 20 examples from the 13th and 14th centuries in a few different counties in England of places called Gropecunt Lane. But I think Bob's point is that the place is not going to object to being called Gropecunt Lane. 
But Roger might object to being called fuck by the navel. Presumably Roger did not have enough status to object to how he was being referred to in this way. Yeah. It must suck to be a peasant. It must it must have really sucked to be a peasant. It must have sucked to be a peasant in an era when cattle diarrhea was not regarded as a pejorative. It's just the whole scene sounds to me like I just I don't like the vibe. So even if it wasn't as taboo in the 1300s, it had become very taboo by the 1400s, as we see with this enciphered example. And Shakespeare, we would expect if it wasn't, might have used the word, but he never does. The word doesn't appear anywhere in Shakespeare's plays, although he does make some allusions to the word, which suggests, again, that it remained highly taboo. Yes, the most clear example of something that could be fuck itself is in The Merry Wives of Windsor, where there's a grammar lesson going on, and a character refers to the vocative case, spelled F-O-C-A-T-I-V-E. And this is punning on, on the vocative case, which is used for direct address. That is, Mike, how are you? So, you know, Mike would be in the vocative case. Right, and there is no such thing as the vocative case. There's no such thing as the vocative case, and he says vocative case, and there's this is immediately followed up with a raft of lewd wordplay that includes sexual puns on Latin words and references to various English words for penis and so forth. So it seems pretty plausible that this is also a pun on fuck. So do you think the people in the Globe Theater, all these Elizabethan theater goers, are like spitting their clothes out in guffaws at Shakespeare's coy and naughty little allusions? Well, yes, actually, I think they were. And again, the evidence from all of his other plays shows that this happens all the time. This episode is brought to you by The Message, a new podcast series from GE Podcast Theater. Hi, Nikki Tomlin here. And I'm the host of The Message. I'm going to take you into an elite cryptography think tank and check it out. Their top project right now is to decode a highly classified radio transmission from the 1940s. Have you listened to it yet? Not yet. Uh, we're having a discussion about that. But if I offered you the chance to listen to it right now... Um, sounds like a no. Well, we don't really know what it is. Voices, music, breathing. But you know, I'm not going to mess with that thing. To sum it up, extraterrestrials. Subscribe to The Message on iTunes. So let's take this to the United States now, because it's really interesting, I think, the way in which fuck gets introduced in print here in America. That doesn't happen until the 1800s, right? That's right. The earliest example we know of fuck in the United States is an illegal document. I mean, we've seen already the, the earliest example we're discussing now is from a 1310 legal case. We're discussing another legal case here, and there are more that we can get to. And in fact, legal documents are one of the great places for evidence of this, because when the word fuck or any word is important to a case, it has to be written down in the court record. At least it should be, and it very often is. Mm -hmm. This earliest example in America is interesting in many ways. This is from a case in the Supreme Court of Missouri in 1846, and it's about someone who was a man who was accused of having sex with a horse. And he successfully sued for slander. Let's just stipulate that the horse was a mare, right? It was a mare, yes. It was not, oh, yeah. a, it was not a homosexual. Good, good. So I, didn't, I didn't want to think there was anything perverse going on. 
uh, no, this wasn't a homosexual act. It was merely bestiality. And so this man was accused by someone else of having sex with this horse, and he then sued for slander. Yes, successfully. And we have the record of the appeal, and that's what this is from. So his test, In his testimony, he said, well, it depends on what your definition of is is. Well, only very close. It, that's pretty much what he said. So the court rejected the appeal, and the court wrote, the slanderous charge was carnal knowledge of a mare. Note carnal knowledge, by the way. And the word fuck was used to convey the imputation. After the verdict for the plaintiff, a motion made an arrest of judgment for the reason that the word used to convey the slander was unknown to the English language and was not understood by those to whom it was spoken. Oh, so you can't slander somebody with words, with that, words that the that general exist. public that doesn't understand. Right. Yes. So the slanderer was trying to claim this word doesn't even appear in the dictionary. Nobody knows what it means. It can't possibly be slander. That's right. But then the court goes on to say... Because the modesty of our lexicographers restrains them from publishing obscene words or from giving the obscene signification to words that may be used without conveying any obscenity, it does not follow that they are not English words and not understood by those who hear them, or that chaste words may not be applied so as to be understood in an obscene sense by everyone who hears them. In other words, everyone knows what fuck means and the fact that dictionaries haven't put it in doesn't matter. And Jesse, you said that there are a number of examples of fuck in print in legal cases in America. That's right. There's a great example from another slander case in 1865, by which point, by the way, we do have a lot of evidence for fuck from various Civil War sources. But this was another slander case that talks about the knowledge of the word itself. So the court wrote, Rebecca Kelly sued the appellant in the court below for slander. The words charged are, I have fucked Rebecca Kelly 100 times. I have screwed Beck Kelly 100 times. It is claimed that the words charged do not import whoredom and are not actionable per se. We think otherwise. The word fucked, which by the way is spelled with dashes, so F-K-E-D, the word fucked, although not to be found in any vocabulary of the English language, is as well understood as any other English word. What's interesting when we get to the 20th century is that this word begins to appear in English language literary works and later magazines and even later comedy albums, right, like with Lenny Bruce and George Carlin. But it also appeared very early on in some popular songs, which is amazing to me. There are a lot of examples of very, very bawdy blues lyrics, almost never containing the word fuck, but you know, extremely sexual. These were not released to the general public. These were race records that only appealed to a black audience, so you know, white censors weren't necessarily paying attention to it. Jelly roll and putting your sugar in my bowl, are, while very clear, are nonetheless not the same as actual profanity. Right. There are all sorts of things like that. You know, rock in sexual senses. You know, he rocked me all night long. But there are occasionally examples of the actual offensive vocabulary, like fuck. One example was a recording, a 1938 recording by the band leader, the white band leader, Eddie Duchin, of the Louis Armstrong song, Old Man Mose. The verse as recorded goes, you know, we believed he kicked the bucket and old man Mose is dead. We he kicked the bucket, we yeah, man, buck, buck, bucket. We he kicked the bucket and old man Mose is dead. We believe. Oh, fuck it. We The pronunciation here is extremely clear. There's no possibility that this is being confused with some other word or like they're actually saying it. And this is, again, this is a white band leader. So this is not a race record where 
the law would, uh, you know, wink and say, well, we're just going to let the colored people just do what they want as long as it doesn't infect polite society. This was a, a general release. Yeah, uh, so of a, by a prominent recording by a very prominent mm-hmm. band leader, Eddie Duchin. You know, as we suggested, there were people later on who were, in fact, prosecuted for using this word, not just in print, but for speaking it. Possibly the most famous court case involving profanity, including the word fuck, was about George Carlin's filthy words routine that I alluded to earlier. This was a routine that first appeared on on an album, a 1972 album, in a track entitled Seven Words You Can Never Say on Television. And these words were fuck, shit, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, piss, and tits. Shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits. Now that was the original list. We've added a few words since then. We've added fart, turd, and twat. (laughs) And I know there are some other words that many of you are wondering about, why they haven't been considered, why they haven't shown up on the list thus far. We're looking at them all very closely. Some of your favorites might make the list this year. These were not actually banned at the time. This was a conceit of George Carlin. Mm -hmm. So there was a a longer version of this monologue that was broadcast on a New York City radio station. WBAI. WBAI, yes, which was part of the Pacifica radio group. So someone heard this and was upset and complained to the FCC. And the FCC didn't actually do anything. They didn't sanction the radio station at the time, but they reserved the right to do so in the future. So the radio station appealed to the Court of Appeals and the FCC appealed to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the FCC in 1978. That is, the FCC was allowed to regulate indecency in American broadcasting because of, quote, the pervasive nature of broadcasting, that broadcasting deserved less First Amendment protection than other forms of communication. And a lot of this revolved around the fact that this was broadcast during hours when children could hear. And in fact, I think the man who issued the original complaint against WBAI did so because he said he was listening with his son. That's right. He was driving in a car with his son and and heard it, and he was upset that his son heard it. So clearly through the 1970s and 80s, the taboo against this word fuck started to diminish as sensibilities changed. Yet that word fuck still had never appeared in most U.S. newspapers, including the New York Times, until the late 1990s. The relaxation of the taboo against fuck has been going on since, you know, throughout the entirety of the 20th century. The wars helped this a lot because you got soldiers going off, you know, mixing with, you know, people from different classes and backgrounds and, you know, being encouraged implicitly, if not explicitly, to behave in ways that are not normally considered okay in, you know, decent civilian society. And in both wars, we have a real explosion in the use of all sorts of offensive language. Although... In Norman Mailer's breakthrough novel, The Naked and the Dead, about the invasion of a small Japanese island in World War II, there's fuck everywhere, except he never uses fuck. He uses, I think, fug or some other mutation, and no one ever utters the word, which is the most repeated word in the whole novel. Yes. In that case, uh, that led to the anecdote that well, in, in various versions, uh, Dorothy Parker or Tallulah Bankhead you know, met him at a party and said, ah, so you're the young man who can't spell fuck. <laughs> um, yeah, but in fact, you know, three years later, uh, when James Jones published From Here to Eternity, which won the National Book Award, he used fuck 50 times in the book, spelled correctly, although it was reported that there were 258 examples in the manuscript and it was cut down to 50. But yeah, so when you had soldiers speaking this way, eventually you have fiction that portray, that accurately portrays the way they they were speaking 
being published. And you know, people did find it shocking, but nonetheless, these were published. Newspapers were much slower to get into the act for many reasons. Because this is a family newspaper. Yeah, family newspaper. I remember the in, in the 1968 or something, the Secretary of Agriculture under Nixon, Earl Butts, told a, a joke. It was both a filthy joke and a racist joke. And the punchline was loose shoes, tight pussy, and a warm place to shit, which the New York Times and I think the Associated Press <laughs> wrote as... <laughs> Comfortable footwear, satisfactory sexual relations, and pleasant toilet facilities, which took a little edge out of it. And uh, I think people were wondering why the guy was forced to resign. Right. So newspapers are this kind of populist breakfast table publication. And as you said, Jesse, we're much slower to publish the word fuck for any reason until, as I suggested, the late 1990s when... Clinton was in the White House. Uh, that's right. Well, it also depends on the newspaper. The, the Los Angeles Times first used it in 1991, as far as anyone can tell. But for the New York Times, the notable example was in 1998. And in that case, it was because of the Star Report. So on you know, September 12, 1998, the Times printed, Ms. Lewinsky said she wanted two things from the president. The first was contrition. He needed to, quote, acknowledge that he helped fuck up my life. So the New York Times possibly takes this on a case-by-case basis and sometimes euphemizes the word when reporting on it. The most common euphemization of the word is the title of your book, right? The F word. When did we start calling fuck the F word? There's an interesting history to this kind of euphemistic abbreviation. Using F for fuck goes back to the 1920s at latest. It was probably in use in World War I. But there are earlier examples of things like that where you use the first letter. So in HMS Pinafore, you know, the Gilbert and Sullivan operetta from 1878, there's a use of damn, which is euphemized. Uh, the character sings, though bother it, I may occasionally say, I never use a big, 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 big D. D. Yes. Yeah. And more amazingly, there's an example going back to Latin times where Varro, he's basically using the Greek word for felate more or less says something like, you know, tell him to go S himself, you know, to go suck himself. Mm. But the earliest example of the phrase, the F word itself, isn't until the early 1950s. And that was actually in an academic journal. And that was about uh, the publication of Lady Chatterley's Lover. I have a number of uh, friends and acquaintances who just can't pull the trigger and they'll say F and this. And I'm like, look, what is the point of not uttering the vulgarity. That's what you're going for. Why pull up short like that? It's kind of a pussy way to communicate. Right. Well, in fact, the, one of the earliest examples of F makes that explicit point. This is from you know, Robert Graves writing about World War I. And he says, the bandmaster, who was squeamish, reported it as, sir, he called me a double effing C dash. Hmm. So even then he was, you know, like, this is what squeamish people say. It gives me an idea to swear at people and substitute the wrong letter just to confuse them. Like, why don't you go G yourself? Oh, hey, don't wait. What? G, what is that you don't want to know? <laughs> okay, well, if you want to write in to us about your favorite fucks, you can do so at lexiconvalley at slate.com. That's lexiconvalley at slate.com. Follow us on Twitter at lexiconvalley, and please subscribe to our feed in the iTunes store. Thanks so much to Jesse Scheidlauer. His book is called The F Word, now out in its third edition. Our executive producer 
is Andy Bowers. All right, Mikey, we done here? Yeah, we are done. Later, Gator. I wish I could fuck all the memory I keep. Fuck the next ten years and just go to sleep. I'm fucked if I do and I'm fucked if I say. I'm fucked if I don't, so I'm fucked anyway. I wish I could fuck all of you till you see. I don't need your mercy, fuck sympathy. Fuck your words and your prayers. Fuck your stares and my cares. Fuck it all till I learn.